John 3, 29 and 30. This is John the Baptist speaking about Jesus finally coming uh, to this world, and he's explaining what his job was when Jesus would come. And it's kind of unusual if you see what he says here. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And John the Baptist says, that joy is mine. He said, and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. He said, I am the friend of Jesus and the friend of the bridegroom gets really excited when it's about to happen. And he listens for his voice. And when I finally heard he was coming, I knew the bride was ready to meet the bridegroom. And I was excited. And my joy is now complete. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. Lord, speak your words, not mine, Lord. Hide me behind your cross. Help me to speak clearly, Lord God. Touch hearts. Help them hear, Lord. In your name we pray. Everybody said... Amen. Praise the Lord. Today, there's a lot of conversations about the church. In fact, if you ask people enough about the church, I just want you to think a minute what the, what the um, opinion is of the church. Because if you're on social media, you're not going to lack finding people that hate the church. People that think the church is ugly, people that think the church is not valuable, people that think the church um, is irrelevant. In fact, there's a, have you ever noticed there's a hatred almost in a lot of places? And, 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 you, and, it's, and it can be a little bit disturbing to realize how hated the church is. But when Jesus talks about the church, there's none of that. How is that? How is she so hated? How is she seen as so ugly? How is she seen as so um, so disliked by the world? But he said he gave everything for her. He said that she's beautiful. He said she's without spot and she's without wrinkle. So something must not be right here. Somebody must be lying. And it's not Jesus. It's not the Word of God. So there's a lie being perpetuated in the world that the church is ugly, the church is wrong, the church is um, not beautiful, the church is not worth it, the church is not valuable. And it's being perpetuated in our society, but Jesus is saying He has a vision of the church. He sees her as beautiful. John is excited that one day he's going to see He's seen the bridegroom come, but he didn't see the fulfillment yet of the wedding. And so what began to make me think about this is there is a psalm that I was thinking about in my mind. And the psalm is chapter 45 of Psalms. And it is what's called a messianic psalm. It is a psalm about the Messiah. It's a psalm about Jesus Christ. It's it's, uh, impossible to read that psalm and not... Uh, understand that that is the Messiah, that is the bridegroom. And I'll get into that in a moment, why that's true. But this psalmist 
seeing the future. I mean, I think that's cool. Wouldn't you like me just to say, I see the future. And it looks like the psalmist was seeing a vision of the future that nobody else could see. And in this psalm, like turn to Psalm chapter 45. What he was seeing, this is called a wedding psalm. It's a royal wedding psalm. And he was seeing something beautiful. It says, my heart is stirred by a noble theme. As I recite these verses to the king, my tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. Some of your versions are, uh, say there that he was bursting forth. He was overflowing with goodness and joy and happiness. I mean, it, it's his way of saying that I, I can't believe what I'm seeing. It's amazing in my mind what I see right now. And he could not wait to come to the king and tell him his vision that he's seen because it was so incredible that he's overflowing, he's bubbling with joy, uh, he's overflowing at what he's seen. And what he's seen was, and I'll get into a moment, was the church. He's seen this woman, and as you begin to get in here, um, it begins to talk first um, about the, the groom, what he looks like. And it says... You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace. Now, that could be a man. It could be any man. But as you begin to read this psalm, it begins to unfold. It's not just any man. It's Jesus Christ. And there was something about the way that he spoke, and what was impressive and what was noble about this man is where his lips were anointed with grace. And, and Jesus, every time he would open his mouth and every time he would speak, they would, um, the one thing that they would always say about him is, is no other man spoke like he spoke. In fact, they were so amazed by the way that he spoke because of the grace that came out of the God who lived on this earth. When he spoke, it was graceful. And so he sees this noble groom who is Jesus Christ. He's seeing a vision of the Messiah uh, meeting his church in the very last day. Now, when does that marriage happen in the Bible? It's in the book of Revelation. It hasn't occurred yet. So we're in the year 2018. This was probably written around the time of David. So this is probably 900 or 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. We're in the year 2018 so this was 3,000 years ago, he's seen the vision. Revelation was not written yet. They didn't talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb. They didn't talk about the bride that was going to be birthed that would be perfect for the God of heaven and that he spent his life and his entire word is trying to reveal this bride that is the perfect companion for Christ, which is us. And so they begin to talk about the groom and... I'll get into it in a moment here. (laughs) I forgot to read this quote, and I hate reading these quotes because I have to actually, I have to actually speak the negative before I can speak the positive. Listen to this quote. This is a famous atheist and philosopher, and I can't go without reading this. He's the atheist 
Um, Friedrich Nietzsche coined the phrase, God is dead. And in his book called Antichrist, he was such a strong atheist and so opposed to the church that he wrote a book that was called Antichrist. Meaning, I am anti-Christ, I'm anti-Christian. How many know that that's the message of the day? That's the flavor that the world is going to throw at you. He said this, I condemn Christianity. I bring against the Christian church the most terrible of all accusations that an accuser has ever had in his mouth. It is to me the greatest of all imaginable corruptions. It seeks to work the ultimate corruption, the worst possible corruption. The Christian church has left nothing untouched by its depravity. It's turned every value into worthlessness and every truth into a lie and every integrity into the basest of souls. What a bitter man. Do you see how hateful he is to what he calls the church? Now, a couple weeks ago, I preached a message called Empire Builders. And I was talking about the mother of all false religions. And so before I can even talk about how beautiful the bride is, I've got to talk about her. Because she's the foundation of all false religion. And she's the foundation of all those who have no connection with this groom, have no marriage whatsoever to the, to the Christ that we find in the Bible who will transform and change the world around you every time. And will change the way you, you live in this world every time you meet Christ, He will. But there is an alternative religion. And in the Bible, you'll find her... I didn't even spend time on this. This is in Revelation chapter 17, verse 17. It says, this is the contrast to the bride. One of the seven angels had seven bowls and came to me and said, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute. Now the one is saving herself and separating herself for her love for Christ. The other one really has no man. She really has no person she's devoted to except herself. And it says, With her the kings of the earth committed adultery. The inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. The angel came to me in the, uh, away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names, had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things, the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, the abomination of the earth. I saw the woman was drunk with this. Listen to this. She was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Somebody said, well, what about the atrocities of the church? Do you know who they were, whose blood they were spilling? Those who had the testimony of Christ. This woman is drunk with the blood 
drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus Christ. This is a religious woman. And this is a woman that hates the bride. This is a woman who consumes her time selfishly trying to consume God's people. Do you see this? This is a wicked woman. This is the world system that hates the bride of Christ. This is a world system that calls themselves Christian, but consumes the bride of Christ, attacks the bride of Christ, tries to destroy the bride of Christ. Do you see the contrast in the two women? But then there's a beautiful bride. It says, this woman, though, was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. The angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides with the seven heads and ten horns. The beast you saw once was, now is, not, and yet is going to come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names are not written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was, now is not, and is yet to come. This woman is in contrast to her. But she... You see a whole different unraveling of this woman. Do you know that Jesus began to talk about the promise of this woman? He said, when he, when he looked at Peter, and Peter made a proclamation of his faith in Christ, it's John chapter 3, actually Matthew sixteen eighteen. I say unto you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Did you know that he hadn't started building his church, this bride, yet? Jesus was promising to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so you had all these people from the beginning of the creation until now were waiting for a Redeemer. The Bible says they were the first fruits of Jesus Christ. And he's waiting to build this church. This promise is starting to build. John begins to hear his voice. And John begins to get happy because he said, Here comes the bride. Here she comes. I can hear his voice. God's about to join with all the faithful people from the beginning of this world to the end of this world. Excitement is beginning to build because everything God ever wanted to do from the beginning is about to be consummated in the, in the joining of these two people together. His faithful from eternity and Him are going to be joined together. In fact, you even see a beautiful picture in the Garden of Eden. Do you know that woman, which is the example in Ephesians here, woman was taken from the man and woman was created out of the side of a man. The church is that picture. You know, all the faithful from the beginning of the creation until now, when we had faith in Christ, how many know that we were literally taken out of Jesus' body and the church was formed? When you became born again, do you know that you literally were taken out of the body of Christ and from Him and through Him, you became a living organism that was just like Him and you were made to be with Him? You were made to have His nature. You were made to be in His image. And you were made to stand side by side with God and live in eternity. And this other woman hates it. 
This other woman wants to drink the blood of the saints, wants the church to die. And she's religious. Not only was she promised and prophesied, but the Bible talks about when she was actually birthed. You know, the church had a birthday. The Bible talks about in in Acts chapter 2, Peter said to them, repent. The first sermon that was preached after the death of Jesus Christ, Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise to you and your children, all that are far off, receive the gift. Those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many words he testified and exhorted, saying, Save yourselves from this generation. That they And they that gladly received the word were baptized that same day and were added unto them 3,000 people. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Fear came upon every soul, and signs and wonders were done by the apostles. They all believed together and had everything in common. They sold possessions and goods, parted them to all men, and as men had need. Now listen to this, 46. Verse 46, it says, And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And listen to this. That was right there, but it's not. It says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those that should be saved. Where did that come from? We're not talking about a church before that. But now all of a sudden, 3,000 souls have been added to something called the church. This thing that the world thinks is ugly and not beautiful and not holy and not separated for God. She was prepared In Ephesians 5.27, it says that he prepared, he gave himself, this 5.25, it says he gave herself holy, cleansing her with water through the word and presenting to himself this radiant church without stain and wrinkle. She had power, Matthew 16.18, the same one Peter says, the gates of hell, the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Do you see that she has power? She has strength. She has the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon her, and she can't be defeated. Is that what that says? On this rock of your profession, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not have the ability to prevail over what you do. So this woman has power and authority She's walking in the power and the authority of her husband. Now, in order to understand this, you have to understand the Jewish mind. And I know I'm going to lose some of you, but I'm teaching here. This is what's called the engagement period. And in Jewish custom, the engagement period meant you were already married. We're already married. We just haven't had the ceremony yet. I'm already walking in the authority of Jesus Christ right now. And you say, man, I'm a man. I can't hardly get into this. I'm the bride. Yeah, you're the bride of Christ. 
I already have His authority and the enemy cannot prevail against me. His Spirit is upon me. His name is my name. And, and, and the, get this, the engagement period, the groom finds out whether the bride is going to be faithful. Whether the bride has separated herself and given herself to Him. You say, well, what's life all about? God's trying to find out who His bride is. He's trying to find out who will be faithful to Him no matter what. And you say, well, wait a minute. All the other people are doing it. All the other kids at school do it. God is trying to find out who will be faithful and who will join Him in eternity. And you say, well, I'll still do it because I'm good. Didn't hear what I was saying. This is the engagement period where we prove our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. That I'm married to Him. I'm married to His plan. I'm married to His will. I'm married to my future. And there should be nothing in this world that takes me away from Jesus Christ. There should be nothing that takes me away from doing His will because I'm devoted to God in my life. And we are in the engagement period. And God expects us to be a bride without spot, without wrinkle, beautiful in His sight, radiant, shining, separated to Him, holy. That's what God wants us to be. So this groom is standing here. Oh, I'm sorry, one more here. Not only is she prepared, but do you know there's a point that she's removed? How do I know that? Because the Bible says, and it was given unto the beast, this is Revelation 13, 7, it was given to the beast to make war with the saints, to overcome them, and power was given to him over every kindred, tongue, and nation. The beast that the prostitute was riding on, that could not be defeated, there are saints on the earth that now can be defeated, but the promise to the bride was, they could never be defeated. The Bible says in Second Thessalonians two seven, as for the work of this man of rebellion, that's the Antichrist, he will do when he comes. It is already going on in our day, but he himself will not come until the one who is holding him back steps out of the way. Something right now is holding back wickedness. Something right now is restraining evil. Something right now cannot be defeated. Something right now is standing in the way and the Bible says one day it's suddenly going to be moved out of the way. Suddenly the bride of Christ is going to be gone. And this world, that restraining power of the Holy Spirit that was upon His church that caused the church to be birthed. You know, the the Holy Spirit birthed the church. The Holy Spirit was on His church. When the Holy Spirit restraining power is gone, it's because the bride is no longer there. She is unstoppable. She is invincible. She is unbeatable. She is the favored one. She is the one that God has put His anointing upon Him. When we're gone, church, the restraint is gone. And that wicked woman will rise up. That wicked woman that rides the beast, which is none other than Satan himself. 
She was hungry to drink the blood of the saints, to martyr those who dared call out to the name of Jesus Christ, those who dared to stand up to the world, those who dared to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to speak it whether you like it or not. Anybody that dared to stand up for the truth, she'd kill them. She is going to be given authority in the world during the tribulation. This wicked, religious, self-righteous spirit that's in the world today but is being restrained by this beautiful woman that everybody says is ugly, but she's beautiful. Praise the Lord. So the groom is standing there. It says, the most excellent of men, his lips are anointed with grace. God has blessed him forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. This man's got a sword on his side. He's a groom. You say, man, that don't sound like any wedding I've ever seen. He's in military apparel. He's got a sword on his side. He just won a major victory. He just fought for truth and righteousness and humility. He just won the battle, won the victory. Let your right hand achieve your awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Does this remind you of anybody? Jesus, you've got to go to the part of history he's seeing. Because he's 3,000 years ahead of his time. He's seeing the end of Revelation here. He sees a picture, and if we don't see it, church, we're going to miss it. He sees the end 3,000 years before it happened. He sees Jesus Christ. The Bible says, in fact, let me read in Revelation. Revelation 19.11 says, Then I saw heaven open and there was a white horse. Was that groom on a white horse? Was he on a horse? Did he have a sword? Wasn't he riding in victoriously over righteousness and See if it sounds the same. I saw heaven open. There was a white horse. The rider is called Faithful and True. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood. His name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, whether with wearing pure white linen. From his mouth came a sharp sword. So he might strike the nations. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, the name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Who's with him there? Man, what did this psalmist see? That. He's seen a royal procession above every royal procession that has ever happened. He's seen a bride and a groom. He's seen somebody that finally brought justice to a world that is just not fair. A world that is full of evil. A world that is full of the spirit of that wicked harlot. That spirit of Satan that just permeates our world. And there's this woman trying to do good. And there's this woman trying to do evil. 
And he sees a groom with a sword, a groom that is victorious. He sees a bride with the groom. He sees everything being restored. He sees you and me with him. Everything is being restored and we're by his side, the one that is called faithful and true church. You've got to see this. Psalm 45 is that wedding. Then he begins to turn his attention to the woman. And in verse 10 he says, in fact, let me go on. Let me actually skip ahead. I hate when I do that. He says this, your throne. In fact, if he were just talking about a groom, would he say this? Verse 6 of chapter 45 in this messianic wedding, it says, Your throne, O God. He calls the groom Elohim here. It will last forever and ever. Now, how is this groom's throne going to last forever and ever? And why is he calling this groom God? It says, Your scepter of justice will be a scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and you hate wickedness. See, he's looking for a bride that is like him. That loves, you can't just hate evil. You also have to love righteousness. You can't just love righteousness. You also have to hate wickedness. And that's what he's looking for. A bride that is, that is, that is like him, that's with him, that's devoted to him, that's, that's, that's set themselves aside for him for this moment. And it says, Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions. He has anointed you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloe. Your palaces are adorned with ivory. The music of the strings make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At the right hand, the royal bride is in gold. And he sees a vision of this beautiful bride. And I mean, she is just golden. She's beautiful. She's not ugly. The world lied. She wasn't ugly. She was beautiful. She's faithful. She's devoted to God. She's got love in her heart. Love overflows in her heart. She's a beautiful woman. And here she is. And he sees this beautiful vision. And he says to the woman, he says, in verse 10, it says, Listen, daughter, consider and give ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Because the king is enthralled by your beauty. Basically what he's saying there is, you're the bride. Everybody here. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're the bride. He's saying, forget your past. Leave your mother and your father. Leave your home. I mean, know that her home probably wasn't as nice as his home. But here's the illogical thing. We don't want to give up our past. He says, give up your past. Leave your mother and father's home and come be my wife. Be my bride. You say, well, what are you talking about? What do I have to leave? You have to forgive the people of your past. Right? We have to forgive the people that are in our past. We have to move forward with God. And you say, but wait a minute, I'm still mad at mom and dad. You know, I'm still upset about this thing that happened in this world because I didn't get the opportunities I should have had in this world. You say, oh, I'm almost 65 now and I don't even have a retirement. You know, I didn't, never really got a chance to go to college. I never really got a chance to do this. I never really got a chance 
to do that. I've got so much disappointment. I've got so much rejection. I've got so many things that are built up in my heart, and God is just saying, forget the past. Why would that woman sit and think about her past so much when she's got that in front of her? But do we do that? Do we forget that this world only lasts for a moment? It's like a fleeting puff of smoke, and it's gone. But we spend our whole life angry about the opportunities we missed, angry about the things that we didn't get to do in this world, the things that happened to me when I was a kid. Do you understand that we can hold on to the past so tight that we won't even go with him. We're so mad about mom and dad, and I'm 50 years old now. It's time to quit being mad at mom and dad. All right? It's time to let go of the past. I'm not making light of it. Because that woman has put a lot of evil in this world and has hurt a lot of us and beat a lot of us up and has tried to literally... Drink the spiritual blood out of your body until you never love that man. God's saying, no, just come with me. Come away with me. Come away with me. Come with me. We've got a future. And it doesn't matter what happened in the past. Let's just leave it. And he goes on and he says, The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honor him. He is your Lord. Man, this is the present. He thinks you're beautiful. Do you know what the beauty of the bride is? It's her devotion. The beauty of the bride is in her holiness. The beauty of the bride is that she has set herself aside for no other than Him. The beauty of the bride is the fact that she loves him so much that nobody could ever win her heart again. And he says, the king is enthralled by your beauty. And and she's worshiping her Lord. Church, that's not a message to a bride. That's a message to us, the bride. The Bible is saying that when we worship, there was a beautiful worship service this morning. Beautiful worship service this morning. And you know what God was saying to us? I am enthralled by your beauty. God is like, you could be anywhere in the world this morning on a Sunday morning. You could be anywhere. But my heart truly wants to be here, God. There's no other place that I want to be except right here. And God says, I am enthralled by your beauty. You say, you know what, there's a lot of things in this world that I could selfishly take to make myself more comfortable, to make myself what people call happy. But God, I want you. And you know what God says? I'm enthralled by your beauty. Worship. Man, do you know what God sees? He sees a bride that is golden, that is beautiful, that is His says the bride is the bridegroom's and worship is the only thing true worship and you say well man I worship like no other well maybe you don't know what worship really is you know when I come to church on Sunday I've got a gift in my hand and that gift is my life 
And I give it to God as a sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, living. So what am I bringing to God? What is the quality of that sacrifice that I bring? Because he only required one sacrifice, and the only one he would accept was your best. You had to go look at the flock, and, and, and the problem was some would look and say, oh man, that one's sick. That one don't look so good. And then he would say, no, 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 that, you can't have, I, that, I won't accept that one. I won't accept the sick one. I won't accept the, you know, it's got to be your best. And so you pick the one out that you're pet. Man, man, I love this one. It's sad. And God knows it's sad. And he knows what sin can do. And so you're holding on to things and they're like pets. It's your pet sin. And God says, I only accept your best. You know, bring it in and now open your hands up and say, God, this whole week I've lived for you. And God says, I'm enthralled by your beauty. You're beautiful. You're beautiful to me because you brought your best. How many think you can go during the week and do your best? My best isn't as good as a lot of people. My best isn't that good. You can look at my best and say, man, that's the best you have. And I can say, well, I'm poor. I don't have a very good stock here, you know. I don't have a good pedigree. You say, that's really your best yet? And I say, yeah, that's all I got. It's my best. God says, you're beautiful. I'm enthralled by your beauty. I'm absorbed with your beauty. You understand? There's another woman out there. There's a religious woman. And she doesn't do that. She's on her own, you know. She doesn't have a man. She's in it for herself. She's riding this beast that really is Satan. She doesn't bring a gift. She never lays her life down before God. She has nothing to offer, and God sees no beauty in that. But man, you come in on a Sunday morning and you give God your best. That's what I'm going to give him, my best. The last thing is, he says, first was leave the past behind. Second one is honor your Lord. And the third thing is look to your future. Look to the future. He begins to talk about. You'll sit on a throne. You'll reign with me. And he begins to tell this woman, look to your future. And church, i got to tell you today, how often, we don't do it enough, and I try to in my messages, but how often do you look at the future? You say, well, I'm looking perfectly at it. I've I've got a terrible retirement. You know, I've got another 10 years that I've got to work at this terrible job that I hate. God's saying, that's not the future. She may, have a, she may have a miserable engagement period. I don't know. She's got to be pretty excited about her future. In church, you may be, you may be terminally ill. You may have the worst job in the world. You may be in a prison like Paul was. But the church has to know their future. The church has to know how close to eternity we stand right now. 
Some of you don't know that, and I can't, I can't on a Sunday morning make you explain it or, or explain it to you, make you understand it. We're very close to eternity. We're very close to crossing into eternity. Does everybody understand that? And he wants the bride to know that the future is bright. Why are you so sad? He says he was anointed with joy. If you knew what was in store for you just around the corner church, it wouldn't be sad. If you knew what your future held with God, if you knew what God was going to do, if, if you knew that you were going to be by His side, just imagine, I can't make you understand eternity with Christ, but I can make you understand a woman going from poverty and living in an ivory tower. This is a palace that is beautiful and made of ivory. She's going to go into a kingdom and she's going to rule with her husband who has all authority and all glory and all honor and he's bestowing it upon her. So because I can make you understand that, I can tell you now that you're going to rule and reign with Christ. As soon as I leave this earth, as soon as I give up this body that is corruptible, I'm going to take on incorruption. You understand? Listen to this. I hope I put this in my notes. Revelation 21, 3 and 4, it says, look, he's excited. It says, God's dwelling is now with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will exist no longer. Grief, crying and pain will exist no longer. Because the previous things have now passed away, church. Do you have that in you? Do you realize what's about to happen? Do you realize what's coming? I'm not going to cry anymore. I'm not going to have grief anymore. I'm not going to feel this corruptible body anymore. I'm not going to feel these ailments that are in my body. I'm not going to have any more tears because God has united with His bride and it's almost time, church. Don't let yourself be lured by that other woman. That other woman who's faithless. That other woman who is sensual. That other woman... Remember I said Nimrod's religion always followed wickedness. It always followed sensuality. It always followed a direction that was taking you away from God. And there's always going to be a voice from the world that says, reject God. There's always going to be a word from the world that says the church is ugly. The church isn't beautiful. The church is nothing. The church is nobody. The church is valueless. The church is worthless. Do you understand, church? We're not. We're made in the image of God, and from the very beginning, we were made to be with Him. Praise God. Bow your heads and rise to your feet, please. Somebody let Eddie know we're ready. No, 12 on the dot. Praise God. God has to be in that. Well on the dot. Hallelujah. <laughs> By the way, while they're getting ready here, I just want to tell you, I have a book here, and I didn't. It's, it was a lot of my notes, but I didn't use it. You ever heard of the book called What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? And it's by D. James Kennedy. 
in this book, it, it, it literally goes through. It's fascinating. You've got to read it. It's a book that's been around for quite a while. But it literally talks about all around the world what cultures were like before Christ was preached in those communities and what it was like once she came. 